0: Live from Hilda Judea is the Land of Israel Fellowship with Rabbis Arya Bramowitz and Jeremy Gimpel.
1: Hey everyone, shalom. It's amazing to see you guys. Whoa, okay, here we are. Everyone's here. This is amazing. I'm not ready yet. <laughs> All right, it is just, uh, I'm thrilled to be back in Israel. It's been really disorienting. It's been a little bit confusing. You know, my children have done everything that they've, can't. That, everything that, within their power to somehow not let us sleep for the first week that we've been back. Um, it's just, uh, just they were playing tag. It was like one is sleeping from four until seven, then one from seven until ten, and then one is coming here, one is coming there. It's just like, there was just no sleeping. It's like we left on Monday, and then Shabbat came upon us, and we're like, what happened to the week? And it was just a little bit of a blur. Um, but this was one of the most meaningful months of my life. I think that's pretty clear. I think I can speak on behalf of Tehillah when I say that this li- this trip was life-changing, life-giving, inspiring, exhausting. Um, all Tehillah and I could talk about is what we had just experienced, it's this awakening all across the United States of America, but I see it on the fellowship. I mean, It's not just America, it's Africa and and Europe and New Zealand and all over the world, but we actually saw it with our own eyes all across the United States of America. Seeing it on the internet is one thing, but then seeing the families meeting their children, oh my God. What have we stumbled into? One of the greatest spiritual movements in our time. That's what it feels like. It's like a Torah awakening across the world. Israel is somehow calling lost souls back to their source. It's astounding. It's miraculous. It's beautiful. I mean, the people that we met, when I say are the most wonderful people on the planet, I'm not exaggerating. Our fellowship is somehow attracted The most beautiful souls, the most gorgeous people, beacons of light, nothing less. They're people that are walking around the United States just zombified, just kind of doing their thing, lost, purposeless, aimlessly walking. And everyone we met on the fellowship is just Filled with a light, seeking after truth, seeking after God, trying to become better, trying to spread more light, like somehow just agents of goodness in the world. And all of us is like gathered together here. How have we, like, we've somehow found ourselves at the edge of the Jewish return to the land of Israel, at the cutting edge of Jewish settlement at the Arugot farm. And at the same time, like the spearhead of this global awakening that's bringing the most beautiful souls around the world together, actually manifesting the dream of the Bible to actually create a brotherhood of man under the fatherhood of God, but then to actually see it to spend time with families that I'd never met before, that Tila had never met before, that we'd been WhatsApping and emailing, and communicating, and then to just spend time with them and meet them. It's like, wow, what we are doing together is bringing so much light into the world, a light that I've never experienced. I mean, we're bringing a new unity in such diversity, just beauty on another level. It's like more love and more prayers and more Torah into the world. We met so many people on this tour that have been blessed by our fellowship. If I tried to tell you, it wouldn't—it would take up the entire session. People's marriages that were saved, people's children, that people's health, people's finances, people's lives—they've just been uplifted. The last year was so hard on so many people, and our weekly gathering was like a a lifeline for so many people. And then to meet the people and then to connect with them—it was like it was something was manifested for the first time in the physical that had never been manifested before. It's like we created something and we did it all together because without all of us coming together, it's like it's like a supercharge. It's like it literally empowering people all over the world. And it's, we're, it's without us here together, it wouldn't have the power. It's like, we're all doing this amazing thing together. I just saw it with my own eyes. And it's our fellowship keeps on growing. <laughs> we're just in our first year. We're just getting started. Who knows where Hashem might take us? But right now it's just beyond any expectation or imagination that I've ever had. And the biggest lesson I think that I learned is that in these times, you have to have just a direct connection to Israel. It's like to survive in this reality today. Like a cell phone charging in the outlet, Israel is the source of spiritual power. And just one month out of Israel, I felt just absolutely drained. And then coming back here, I feel like my strength returning. And Ari and I and Tahila have been talking about new things that we're going to do for the fellowship to help people stay plugged in until the gates finally open up and people can come to the land again on their own. But new segments, new ideas of how to fill uh, the fellowship with more avenues of expression and connection. And so the trip to America was unbelievable. The return has really been (laughs) it's disorienting (laughs) exhausting but slowly but surely it's coming back but it's sort of like finishing that chapter and looking back only it's like whatever i thought in my wildest imagination i could i can't believe what we are all doing together and it's something historic it's something unbelievable it's something so beautiful and it goes all the way down to small little families with their little children It's like so big an idea and it goes all the way down to really changing people's lives. Just marvelous. And so finally, just want to take this opportunity to bring everyone together in just a moment of of prayer that we could somehow from Namibia in Africa to Colorado to Jerusalem and Judea and just to kind of align our hearts together and just have a moment of prayer together. Hashem, thank you so much for this fellowship. Thank you for this opportunity to bring your light into the world, a new light. In such hazy and confusing times, thank you for guiding us. Thank you for guiding me and my family on our tour to the United States. So many things could have gone wrong and you made everything go so right. Thank you for bringing us together from the ends of the earth to allow us to taste the goodness of your prophecy in our life. It's Elul. And we've come here together to start over together. Thank you for the gift of renewal. Thank you for the chance to do tshuva. Help us take what we learned today and bring it into our hearts and into our lives. Bless our fellowship. Walk with us and guide us. Give us strength and give us a new spirit to rise up this year and prepare us for whatever lies ahead. Help us keep our eyes towards Zion and our hearts aligned with you. Thank you for bringing us all together. Such a beautiful thing. Hopefully, together we'll make your name great in the world. Amen. Amen. So I want to start off today um, with Torah, straight from the Parsha. And I'm going to pass it over to Ari to enlighten us. I know we spent some time together over Shabbat, and I know that he has some beautiful insights. But before we kick off this Elul session, I first just want to tap in. To the wisdom of the Parsha that's speaking to us right now so all right take it away
2: shalom Jeremy shalom everybody can you hear me Jeremy raise your hand you can hear me yes okay fantastic it is good to see you all again Jeremy it's good to see you back in the driver's seat uh, the original pilot back in the original cockpit it's just good to see you. For some reason, I am, I'm getting the impression you can't hear me, but that's okay. Hopefully, things will work themselves out. But, uh, but listen, when, when Jeremy took these uh, sparks of light from Judea to America, uh, that's what we do. That's what we're doing. But I, I saw in his eyes and in and the whole family that he brought back sparks of light with him. And, um, and I'm setting up my next tour. I'm very excited. Shana and I and Dvash, we're going to be coming to America as well. I think around Hanukkah time, around December. Please, God. So, uh, so be in touch about that if you're interested. Um, anyways, uh, last week we were focusing on shuva and on repentance. And we focused on how to harness these times that are so packed with the potential for growth, to do exactly that, to grow, to grow closer to Hashem, to go grow closer to the best version of ourselves, of who we can be. And as with everything else in our lives, both on the personal front, on the national front, the Torah portion, it shines this guiding light onto what we're experiencing on our journeys through this world, on personal, national levels, of course. So in the, in the past, we've mentioned that the first verse in this week's Torah portion of Shoftim, it says, Shoftim v'shotrim, Judges and police officers, I guess you could define shotrim or police officers. Judges and police officers, you shall appoint in all your gates. And uh, and and we we spoke about how this is a directive, not only on how to ensure that there is law and order on a societal level, but the Hasidic masters teach us that the Torah speaks us at all times, on every level, on every dimension, and on every time of... of not only the year, but of throughout time. So there's guidance on the most personal level for us in this first pasuk of the Torah, which we could definitely use right now, all the personal growth that we can get while the king is in the field to make these meetings with the king more and more beautiful. So what are these gates, right, that the Torah is talking about? And who are these police? And who are these judges that we are appointing over them? Well, the gates... The Hasidic masters, our sages tell us, they are our faculties. They're our senses. They're the gates to our inner essence. They're the gates to our minds and to our souls. What are those gates? There are our, our ears, our our eyes, our mouths. Those are our gates. And who are what are these officers, these policemen that we're supposed to appoint over them? So Rav Leiter from Tzfat, he explains that these... The judges and the officers, who are they? He explained that the judges are our intellect, right? Our mind, our brains, our faculty of reason, our faculty of judgment. They're the ones who decide when to open the gates and when to keep them locked shut. They're the ones who determine what will be healthy for us physically and spiritually and what may be a a Trojan horse, which is seductively convincing us uh, of its various benefits but in reality once we let them inside they can poison us and drag us down i don't know about you but uh there have been many times throughout the last year that those stationed at my gates have had compromised judgment to say the very least and this is not about beating ourselves up or you know regret that's not what this is about this is the time to fortify our inner judges and strengthen our inner policemen and reflect from a new place and a new perspective, what our own uh, green passport system will be. I'm making a lot of allusions to what's going on in the world right now. But um, okay, so the judges are our intellect. We, we determine that. What are, are the policemen? What are these policemen? Well, our inner policemen consist of our inner strength, our discipline, our willpower. Jeremy talks about this a lot in his teachings and he's influenced me a lot as well. This, this willpower, it's our commitment to fulfill the decision of the judge. Our inner policemen are the ones that are there to ensure that the verdict of our inner judges, our intellect, is adhered to. Whether or not the mood in which the commitment was made is still with us or whether it's past. We need strong policemen for Elul. And, uh, and this this is not the time that we're supposed to be defunding the police, if you know what I mean. This is the time to fund them, to strengthen them. Thanks for the laugh, Jeremy. So while this may sound simple and straightforward, all the human beings in our fellowship, and I mean human beings, because there's a few people I know like, for example, Tahila Gimpel that doesn't have any issue. She makes a commitment for the rest of her life, she's going to keep it. But normal mortals don't exactly do that. Um, So it's not simple because during the year, while we may sit down for a meeting with our judges, once a month and determine policy and progress. And while we reprimand our policemen every few weeks for their lack of enforcement, now in Elul, we need to let that baggage go and dedicate time to sitting with our judges and our policemen each and every day and reviewing and revisiting how we are living right now. And if you're like me, you may say, I just don't have time for that right now. I don't have time for it today, but that thought in and of itself, that thought needs to be refused entry by the police that are guarding our minds during Elul. I don't have the time. There's literally no better use of our time than doing that. Abraham Lincoln said, if I have an hour to chop down a tree, I would spend the first 45 minutes sharpening my ax. And Elul is the time to sharpen the ax. Elul is the time that, to focus on the, what's, quant, not what's quantitative, but what's qualitative. It's not a time in which we measure how much we've accomplished, but how much of our hearts we have poured into nurturing and beautifying our relationship with Hashem. And so let's just review for a second what these primary gates are. We've discussed them before, our mouths, right? What we're putting into our mouths and what we have coming out of our mouths. And by the way, the two may be more connected than we think. Rav Cook teaches that chuva begins with the physical, and our physical well-being is arguably determined in the most significant way by what we eat. The first sin That for which we were exiled from the garden involved the faculty of eating. So perhaps in some way, our return to God, our return to the garden of Eden is integrally connected to rectifying that faculty of what we eat. If our body is the sanctuary within which our soul resides, then a body that's nourished by healthy, natural foods in the right time, in the right place, in the right amounts, it's almost like looking at food as the Rambam, as Maimonides says, as medicine. That's how he teaches us to look at it. Well, the body that is fed with such medicine has great potential to serve as a vessel through which the light of Hashem can be channeled into the world. And when we're serving as that vehicle, when we put police that, when we police that which goes into our mouths, particularly for spiritual motivations, well then our job of policing what comes out of our mouths tends to be a little bit easier as well because we're a cleaner vessel because the power of our words. Well, we have an entire fellowships about this. Policing both what is entering our mouths, whether it is life giving and what is exiting our mouths and whether that is life giving as well whether we have words of compassion and generosity and kindness and gratitude, or whether they're words of, uh, and whether they're words of blessing and spirituality, whether they're words that are uh, full of gossip and judgment and complaints. And by the way, the words that we say are very much determined by the eyes through which we see the world, another one of our gates, the eyes through which we see our fellow man, through which we see absolutely everything. Just recently out at the farm, we had an event And a key guy that was needed for this event, I'm trying to keep it very um, vague. He was late, inexcusably late, and I was getting angry. I wasn't screaming or anything, but in my heart, I was angry. Does this person not value my time? Do they not care about the situation that their lateness is putting me in? Anyways, my friend Toby, uh, I was telling you about him. He was out here and he saw the look on my face and he said, Ari, remember, if you are ma'avir al-midotav, Hashem will be ma'avir on your midot, And it was as if those words thrust me into an altogether different consciousness. I'll explain them in a second. It, was, it just startled me so much. He brought it to the forefront of my consciousness in a much deeper truth. Then uh, I try to live by it, but I don't always succeed. But he really thrust me into a whole nother way of thinking, an elul way of thinking, which I really had forgotten. I started thinking it. it His shortcomings, his midot problems, Hashem will forgive yours. And I was thinking, am I always on time? Do I always keep my? Do I ever keep my friends waiting? And even if I don't, do I ever keep Hashem waiting? Am I always on time for prayer services? Forget being late. Do I always even go to prayer services? Do I establish times for Hashem and for Torah, or do I most often allow Hashem to wait? as I fit those times around this worldly commitments based on my actions, I clearly I clearly judge them as more important. I see that my video is coming in and out. This is true, right? That's right. I have a better voice for radio than TV anyways. So I'm sure you'll forgive me for that, but I'm, I don't know what's going on. But I'm winding it down anyways. Listen, our eyes are, are quite possibly the most important of all of the gates. Because while we did say... That the first sin was the eating of the fruit in the garden, perhaps even before that was the sin of the eyes which gazed upon the fruit and desired it. The eyes are the gate that determine the reality in which we live. Are we living lives of miracles in which we see the loving hand of God behind everything? Or do we see, God forbid, that which we think is lacking, a life that's relegated to illusions and constraints of the natural world? And so I want to, next week when we're together, I'm, we're going to dive even deeper in Shuva, as we promised that we would do last week, in the fellowship last week. We'll, we'll talk about it and how we can refine the way in which we see others, in which we see the world. But until then, I'll wind down with this blessing. Hashem, our hearts are yearning to come close to you in true repentance. But without your blessing, even that is doomed to fail. Hashem, please guide us in how we can return to you, not only through fear, but through love, to understand what that really means, repentance through love. Grant us success in this endeavor of tshuva, and let us come before you with new hearts, not hearts of stone, but hearts of flesh, hearts full of love for each other, hearts full of love for you, and for all of mankind. Shalom, my friends. Back to you, Jeremy.
1: Ari, thank you very much. That was absolutely beautiful. I love the fact that Toby woke you up like that. And that still stuck with you until today. That's a sign that he's a real friend. I love Toby. Um, okay. Here's what I want to say, guys. Um, the biblical calendar is one of the greatest secrets kept throughout the ages. It's not in the Torah. It's not in the Neviim, It's not in the prophets. It's not in the writings. You can't see it, but within the Judean tradition that's been maintained, Secrets are held within those times. It's like one of the greatest tools given to us to help us draw closer to God. The calendar, it's, it's a spiritual GPS. It shows us the way during particular times of the year. It's like there are times, appointed times, that are auspicious for particular spiritual movements. It's like freedom during Passover, happiness during Sukkot. Elul is when Hashem is so close. They say, Hamelech basadeh. Elul is when the king is in the field. He leaves his palace and comes down to the field to meet his people. It's like Teshuvah is right before us. Returning to him is not a long journey in Elul. He's right here. He's right here right now. There's no time when he's closer. The sages of Israel point to Isaiah in chapter 55. And they say that Isaiah was talking specifically about Elul. Seek Hashem when he can be found. Call upon him when he is near. So you think about that. Well, Hashem is one. So in oneness, like what? Sometimes he's near and sometimes he's far away. It's like, yes, something's like beyond our understanding. But some of Hashem has times where he's really near. And that's the time to seek him. That's the time to really reach out. And that's the time of Elul. It's like, and you know, sometimes if the king's in the field, you know, you're just not ready you're just wearing a t-shirt you're just you know your shoes are muddy there's like nails under your fingertips you're and then the king is right there you're like oh my god i wasn't ready i was just in the middle of my year and all of a sudden it's like whoa it's it's right before you and so this is the time where there's there's it's just a simple turn and you're already back on track you see Elul has two dimensions that coexist simultaneously so on the first hand we have the time before creation that, you know, Rosh Hashanah, the first of Tishrei, the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Tru'ah, that was when we celebrate, let there be light. That's like, we, now there's there's a king, because without subjects, the king isn't really king until he has subjects. All of a sudden, man was created. It's like, wow, this is the day of creation, the Feast of Trumpets. We're like trumpeting the king in. So Elul was the time before creation, the time... Um, when it was still within the womb of God before the birthing of reality itself, the time when God was still dreaming up what he wanted from creation before creation. And we're going to get to that in the workshop in just a little bit. But the second dimension of Elul is that it happened in the time of the Torah. And that is the 40 days when Moses went back up to Mount Sinai after the sin of the calf on Yom Kippur, the 10th day of Tishrei, he comes down with the second tablets. The people of Israel are forgiven for their first major sin of the golden calf. And that was the day of atonement, the day of forgiveness. But then those 40 days when Moses was up there on the mountain, that's the process of Elul saying, this year I set up a goal. I had, it, I, I had what I wanted to do this last year, but ugh, so many golden calves got in my way. <laughs> so many problems stumbled. Now is the process. Moses goes right back up to the mountain. And then there's a process there that he goes through. And both of those can really be explained in two beautiful ways. The first one is in the Hebrew language. So let's take these two dimensions now. And let's talk about the womb, the creation before the birthing, when God was still dreaming up of creation. See, Elul is called the month of Rachamim, the month of mercy. Can we get that slide up there? so when no not that one the one of elul on rachamim and so the word rachamim in hebrew is usually translated as mercy and the word mercy that's like a it's it's not a good translation because the word mercy has has, it it feels like god have mercy on me don't punish me but that is not the hebrew word rachamim the word rachamim comes from the word rechem it's literally the the same root and rechem means womb so that means this is the month of mercy it's the month of the womb that means all of us now are in god's womb a safe place for us to grow expand to be nourished to experience life it's like this is the month not only that creation itself was in the womb so to speak before creation But our lives right now, God creates a space for us to grow into ourselves. That's the month of Elul. But on the second process, here we can see, now bring up the slide from Exodus. Moses is up on the mountain, and look at what is told of him now. For the first time, it's saying, no, no, no. I gave you the first set of tablets. It says that God wrote those with his own finger. But the second sets, Hashem said to Moses, Exodus 34, verse 1, Carve for yourself two stone tablets, like the first ones. (laughs) Carve for yourself, and I shall inscribe on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you shattered. So already right there, if you look at that verse, it's already a bit confusing, because first it says, carve for yourself, and then God says, I will inscribe. Well, who's doing it? Who's carving it? Is it Moses or is it God? And that is exactly the secret of Elul. That it's our job right now in the space, in the womb that God has given us to carve for ourselves a path into the new year. But as we're envisioning what we want for our new year, as we're carving our own way into fixing what we've messed up in the last year, as we're really trying to like make our life a work of art that we can present to God, to ourselves, to our families at the end of our lives. And we're now trying to carve it out this year of what we want it to look like. Somehow God is inscribing that right there together with us. And there's a beautiful idea. The word Elul, um, Rav Daniel, the rabbi of Barain, one of Ari and my mentors, um, he's a Kohen, a priest. So he's very knowledgeable about all of the sacrifices and the temple services. And he taught me this beautiful teaching that Lul. In the temple were little openings that the workers that were not the high priests were able to go all the way in to the holy of holies and if there was construction work that needed to be done some type of cleaning that needed to be done in the holy of holies they wouldn't walk in directly but there were openings in the top of above the holy of holies and then they would be lowered down in through the lul can we get that picture from the temple institute up on the screen so people can see what i'm talking about Oh, well, you see that the the priest here is being lowered down in that picture. And then next to it is, of course, the Ark of the Covenant. But if you see uh, above the top there, where that chain is coming out of, are little squares. Now, it's funny because a chicken coop in Hebrew is called a lul, but that word actually comes from the biblical Hebrew. Lul are those little openings of the back, of the on the roof of the Holy of Holies. That would lower the priests in. And you can see here, the priest here is fixing something in the floor of the Holy of Holies. That's how they would go in. So Rev Daniel taught, Elul is almost taking that as a verb, saying I, Elul with an Aleph. I am going into the Lul. I'm not going into the Holy of Holies straight through the entrance. There are little cracks, little openings in my life now that God is opening up for me. And I'm going to go directly to the heart of God through the openings that are not the main entrances, just the little things in life that I want to fix, the little things in life that God is opening up for me now to draw closer to him. And the heart of Elul is that it's not yet now with trumpets and feasts and huge high holy days. It's like slow inner work that allows us to go all the way into the holy of holies, but through small openings that God opens up for us. So that's the lul of the temple. And Elul is, I am going to go into the lul. And so with that, if we talk about going into the heart of issues, I'm going to introduce my favorite person on planet Earth. Um, first, second is Ari, but first is Tahila. And throughout the speaking tour, something marvelous happened. She only had an opportunity to speak alongside me uh twice i believe throughout the whole trip because most of the time we'd be like arriving at some motel after six hours of travel the kids are splattered on the beds she's making dinner trying to put some kosher meal together and then i'm off teaching and coming back at 12 o'clock at night and then waking up the next morning and off to the next city um but everywhere i went people were saying you know jeremy your teachings are beautiful you're wonderful great wonderful but Tahila, <gasps> whoa, she is amazing. <laughs> so everywhere I went, I realized that Tahila is actually the star here, and so it is absolutely my pleasure to introduce the star of the fellowship and the woman voice uh, to all the people in the fellowship. So Tahila, you can now take it away.
0: Hey guys, boy, is it good to be home, back in Israel, back on the farm. Um, Our trip was wonderful and an unforgettable experience. We went from city to city, and we were just so humbled and so inspired by the wonderful people that we got to meet along the way. I'm not going to mention all your names. I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but you know who you are. Everywhere we went, people just went to these tremendous lengths to show us so much hospitality. Almost everywhere we went, and this was so totally unexpected. Our beloved hosts and friends, some that we know and some that we were meeting for the first time, he made bags of gifts for our kids with each kid's name and like giving thought to what would be right for each age and set up kosher food for us and snacks and fruit and friends the thought of even just the tiniest details down to the packages of wipes to clean the kids on the long drives and bomba so they would have Israeli food to eat um, people we didn't even know just opened their homes to us and having five kids in your house is not a small deal so we could have never even imagined or envisioned the kindness and the generosity that we encountered and most meaningful to me was just getting to meet so many of you in person and hearing how the fellowship is impacting your lives positively. People were just so amazing taking the time to show me deep personal work that they're doing and you know that that was inspired by things we've discussed here together. Um, It was just really meaningful for Jeremy and me but not only for us it was also so great for our children to meet other children that study on the fellowship and it gave them perspective like you know what's Abba doing on the computer all the time with all those books and all those notebooks like oh this is what we you know what he's doing it all kind of came together uh so huge thank you to all of those of you who drove long distances everyone who hosted us everyone who spent time talking with us um, everyone who gave us thoughtful and meaningful gifts and care packages along the way and Thank you to all the newcomers who've signed up after uh, meeting us. Welcome. And I also apologize. I wasn't able to accompany Jeremy to every event. I know that he did a great job without me. He covered it. But I would have loved to be at every event, and um, but sometimes the kids were just too exhausted. We pretty much put them in a blender for a month, just taking them from city to city almost every day, a different city. They were champs, but sometimes they just needed a little TLC and quiet. So hopefully next time we'll pace ourselves when we set up our itinerary a little more, and we could be a little bit uh, um, more relaxed and manage to make it to you know all of us to all of the events. Anyway, we couldn't be more grateful and honored that you guys chose to give time to studying with us in person and of course every week Um, and here's a little announcement Uh, this one is for the ladies sorry gentlemen this idea started to uh, come together with some of the women I met in Colorado and as I floated it to some of you in different cities I got really enthusiastic feedback so this one thing that kept coming up when talking to the ladies is that there's kind of a, a thirst for like a space to have dialogue and raise questions that particularly relate to women in Torah life. So sorry to leave you out, fellas, but I'm thinking about doing uh, some kind of interactive session, like maybe a Q and A type format. Um, and I talked about it with Shana. She said she'd love to join me. So my idea is that if you guys are interested in this, I think it'll be really fun. Maybe email me questions or subjects that you want to talk about. Um, I don't want to uh you know be like on the spot because i might need to research things i'm sure you guys are gonna have really good questions and you guys probably know by now i'm a researcher and so then um i'll try to maybe choose some questions that seem to come up you know for a lot of you and if there are just a few questions we could try to cram everything into one session if there are a lot of questions maybe we can divide it up into a few sessions anyway uh once we're properly prepared we'll of course send out an email with a time and a place and make a recording for those of you guys who can't make it in person um, might have to be after the high holidays because we got a lot going on here, preparing for the festivals, but uh, I'll have to see how fast I can uh, crank this out and put it together. Anyway, so this is a great opportunity to bring up things that we can talk about and put on your thinking hats about things that you want to raise in kind of a more personal, smaller, feminine setting. So that's the exciting news. And now just a little thought about this week's Torah portion. An interesting thing that came up for me when I was reading the Torah portion this week was that the portion deals a lot with what will happen when we don't know what to do. Like imagine Israel's is about to go into the land and they're like, what are we going to do without Moshe? That's kind of how we feel in our lives. Like we don't really have a Moshe, right? What are we going to do when we don't know, right? So, you know, how are we going to solve disputes? How are we going to know what the Torah wants from us? How do we know what Hashem wants from us? So in this week's portion, Hashem sets up different institutions and leaders that can help us. So there are judges and priests. And prophets and kings and for different situations are commanded to go seek the guidance sometimes of the priest sometimes of the judges sometimes of the prophets and an interesting side point is that to just to notice that the Torah doesn't tell us to seek advice from the king and listen to him in the book of Samuel later Samuel will tell us that we have all these things that we're gonna have to do for the king but here in the Torah portion there are only commandments towards the king not towards us listening to the king and um, So, like, the Torah has this kind of love-hate relationship with kings, like, on the one hand, David was the greatest king, Solomon was our glory days, but on the other hand, the Torah is kind of concerned and suspicious of political leaders. Uh, I think in many ways, as my pal Isaiah from Orlando pointed out to me, that that suspicion may have inspired the founding fathers of the United States and other democracies, uh in their suspicion towards government and limiting government power and checks and balances because they know you know there's possible corruption so i think the torah was already laying the groundwork saying hashem is telling us seek guidance from the leaders that are god-fearing the priests the prophets right the 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 judges those who are knowledgeable in torah not political leaders who are kind of hit or miss you know they might be god-fearing and they might not be god-fearing so that's interesting to keep in mind but Relating to the prophets, and this is what I want to talk about, in chapter 18, verse 17, the Torah says, A prophet from among you, from your brothers, like me, meaning Moshe says, like, you'll have a prophet like me, the Lord your God will set up for you, and you shall hearken to him. According to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb, which is Sinai, on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not continue to hear the voice of the Lord my God. Let me no longer see this great fire, so that I will not die. And the Lord said to me, they have done well in what they have spoken. So these verses are saying that there's going to be, in the future, Moshe's calming us down, saying there's going to be prophets like me. We know they're not really going to be like Moshe, but they're going to be pretty close. right? They'll hear Hashem. They'll be able to guide us. And Hashem is going to set up prophets for us because at Mount Sinai, we said we don't want to hear Hashem's voice. We don't want to see this fire anymore. Moshe, you come tell us the commandments. And... Hashem says, you've spoken well and I will give you prophets in future generations. I've never really paid attention to this verse before, but this week it just kind of popped out at me. And I said to myself, okay, well this is interesting. Like, what is the connection? What could possibly be the connection between our not wanting to hear Hashem's voice at Sinai and Hashem promising to give us prophets in the future? So the classical interpretation uh, that's found in the oldest even in the oldest Midrash on the book of Deuteronomy, and based on the verse that says that they spoke well, is that it was actually a good thing. That in the merit of the fact that Israel was so God-fearing that they were afraid to hear Hashem's voice directly, and they asked for Moshe to say the commandments, that was a sign that they truly were in awe of Hashem. And so in that merit, as almost like a reward, they would get prophets in future generations as well. The Malbim, another interpreter on the Torah goes, Even further, to say that this was actually Hashem's plan for Israel to ask to hear the commandments through a conduit and not directly, because in this world, we're supposed to have doubt. Our challenge in life is to overcome doubt, to overcome our evil inclination. But if you woke up every day and heard God speaking to you directly, it would be a lot harder to sin, wouldn't it? Like if you didn't, if you knew Hashem was communicating with you all the time, do you really have? the possibility of doing something wrong it's like a parent if you tell your kid don't eat the cookie on the table and you're watching them watching them don't eat the cookie right it's not like so praiseworthy if they don't eat the cookie because you're staring right at them what's the question is when you walk away and they're not sure they're gonna get caught maybe they'll be able to blame it on their brother then will they not eat the cookie that's the test so the malabim says it was actually a good thing we asked not to hear hashem directly and Because of that, his word is always going to come through a prophet. And you could always be like, well, maybe the prophet's not really a prophet. Maybe it's not really Hashem's word. You're constantly put to the test. Your faith is constantly put to the test. So that's a really beautiful idea. But I still felt a little twinge in my heart because I'm reading the verse. And it says, I'm going to send you a prophet because you asked not to hear Hashem's voice. Like There's an element there that doesn't sound purely positive. It sounds like maybe we were missing out. So I did some digging and indeed the Holy Ora Chaim, Rabbi Chaim ben Benatar, who lived in the 1700s in Morocco and Israel, he wrote this. He said, maybe, just maybe, Israel caused themselves to not all be prophets because they didn't want to hear Hashem directly at Sinai. Therefore Hashem will send his word through prophets who will pass on the message. This is just a really surprising idea. He's saying that we actually had the realistic possibility of all living as prophets if we had wanted to really hear Hashem at Sinai Hashem would have done that but we were too afraid we weren't ready and so we missed out on something we got something amazing we have holy prophets to teach us don't get us wrong right but there's something a little more that we could have had if we had been ready but Hashem said okay you're not into it I'll find a more indirect way that you guys can handle I think this is a really powerful message as we enter the month of Elul not enter we mean we're well into the month of Elul Either way you interpret the verse, and maybe you can really interpret it both ways combined. The verse here is teaching us that we are in the driver's seat as far as how much or how little we want to hear Hashem in our lives. Hashem doesn't muscle his way into our lives. We're given the choice to build the vessel, to set the tone of how intense or how distant we want the relationship to be. It's really about what we ask for. What are we ready to have? And Hashem will reveal himself to us in our lives in accordance with the level and the vessels that we set up. I'll never forget that my dear friend Lisa, who I was lucky enough to spend time with on this trip, she said to me, and I bet she doesn't even remember because it was years ago, but she said to me that she often asks Hashem, Hashem, I want to walk on a straight path, on a righteous path, and if I go off the path, please correct me. And I remember being blown away by her courage. Because when you're on a path, like we're humans and we like our paths, we're pretty stubborn, right? Like when I think I know what's the right thing, I'm like kind of stuck on that the willingness to be corrected, his willingness to have Hashem in our lives, not just as like, oh, I love Hashem, Hashem, you love me, but actually showing us the right way, even when it hurts, even when it's not what we want. And it takes tremendous courage to ask for that close and intense of a relationship with Hashem. And I, I believe that this verse is telling us that you will get what you ask for, what you tell Hashem you're ready for, but watch out because you're really gonna get it. You know, like they say, careful what you wish for, careful what you wish for, because Hashem will meet you there. I know this is kind of like a stupid story. I can't believe I'm even saying it, but a couple of days ago I got this like really itchy red rash and I'm trying all my herbal potions and nothing's working. So I started to in to pray. I said, Hashem, oh, you know, I just got back. I'm jet lagged. The kids are jet lagged. Just cut me some slack, please. Please help me with my rash if you wouldn't mind healing it. And then I thought about what Lisa, my friend Lisa said, and I thought, is that really what I want to be praying? And I said, you know what, Hashem, nix that. Hashem, thank you for that rash. I don't know why I have it, but clearly I've done something wrong. I'm not on the right path. You're correcting me, showing me I need to wake up and pay better attention. So I'm going to take the responsibility to think about where I've gone wrong, try to work hard and get my act together. And I just wanted you to know, Hashem, I appreciate it. Thank you for giving me this rash. And I felt like that's a whole different energy. That's a whole different kind of listening, a whole different relationship. Hashem gives us the freedom to choose what kind of relationship, how much and how little we want to be in a dialogue. So I think this month of Elul is really about preparing our vessels for the coming year, thinking towards Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. How am I going to set up my spiritual world? How am I going to allow align myself? How open do I really want to be this year? And we learn from this week, knowing from this week's portion that Hashem will indeed adapt his level of providence and dialogue with us in our lives, according to what we set up. So I bless us to have a really, Clear and powerful month of Elul in preparing ourselves for the kind of relationship that we want to have in this coming year. Have a great week, guys!
1: Thank you so much, Tehillah. I just love that teaching. Um, when Tehillah first taught me this idea, I just I connected to it so much because the original idea wasn't to have you know a prophet that's speaking to the nations like the Torah ideal is that all of us were called to have a direct relationship, to seek guidance directly from Hashem in our life. And it's like, now there's no more prophets that are walking amongst Israel claiming to be prophets. And now the original ideal is now really for the taking. It's like, in some ways that's the ultimate goal of Teshuvah. And that's what I want to talk about um, at the heart of this session. Now Teshuvah to return, to repent. Um, I like the language of to realign ourselves. So, I really want to get straight on that. What does it mean to really try to work on Teshuvah in this year to realign ourselves? And I think that the best way to explain that is to really understand the Hebrew word for Zion. And, you know, the Jewish people have prayed towards Zion forever, <laughs> 2000 years. But what does the word Zion actually mean? So first, Zion means Jerusalem in the Bible. That's what it's talking about. Yer the city of Zion. But tzion also means just the word itself. It means like the mark on a target. That if you're aiming at something, you want a tzion, you want a, 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 like a bullseye on a target, that's what tzion is. But then also, tzion is also a grade. Meaning like a grade on a test. Did you get an 80? You got a 90, you got a 90, an A plus, a B minus. So imagine what that's teaching us right now. It's like you have where you are now and you have where you could be in your life. You have who you are now and who you could be. That's the path. And who you could be and where you could be, that's your tzion. That's what you're praying toward that's the that's like walking on that route you're literally walking in the light of zion and now always throughout the year you know you're going to get off track you're going to like veer to the right you're going to veer to the left in america ah oh, i wasn't eating right i wasn't sleeping right i didn't have time to learn properly you know it's okay it's, it's L now. now it's time to realign to return to that path when you're walking on that route of where you are now and where you're destined to be, um, you, you start taking steps in revealing the potential that God created when he created you. You know, you start to touch on your own destiny. And on that path, when you're on that path, seeking out God, trying to be better, trying to spread light, trying to bring light into your life, that's when spice carts arrive, that's when hidden blessings manifest, Um, You know, most people call the Torah the law, people keeping the law. But in Hebrew, when you're living by the law, when you're living by the Torah, you say you're guarding halacha. Halach literally means to walk, not law. So the Hebrew way of saying I'm keeping the Torah is you're living by the Torah, you're on the walk. You are on the path. And if you veer from the path, you can always do tshuva. That's exactly what, that's what it means to return, to realign. It's like you have a a, a path that is your destiny to where you are meant to be in the world. And if you veer from the path, you can always just realign with God's light again. That's why teshuva means to return. You want to return to the walk. You want to return to your God-given path. You were created to flourish. And when you start living with the process of teshuva, your soul begins to flourish and grow. You start to experience like a deep joy, a sincere happiness that can't be experienced in any other way. And on one hand in Elul, we have this idea of carving out our new commitments, our new commandments, our new set of 10 commandments. And it's like, okay, well, I want to set up a new tzion for this year. I want to set up a new Zion in my own life. And at the same time before creation, this is when Hashem was dreaming what he wanted from creation before creation itself anyway it was at this time that Tehila and I had that magical moment where we both somehow realized that our dreams were to move to the farm and God was dreaming with us and this is the time to really get our dreams clarified now this isn't the time to dream but what I want to do now is to give a workshop homework for this upcoming month and this is really work that you can do all the way up until the new year really all the way up until rosh hashanah yom kippur maybe even sukkot like this is all like one long process and this is the time in elul to dream to imagine what the ultimate good is in your life and so what i have is i have these essential ingredients of life now each person is going to have their own sion. everyone has different things that they need to work on And the essentials that I have here, I go over these every day. It's on the second page of my journal. And I have these ingredients to say, like, how am I doing on that aspect of my life? What's going on here? I set up this goal here. I really wanted it to be this way. And the workshop is first to write down these essentials in life. And then what's calling you in those essentials? to really build up this year because a new year's resolution isn't just a, okay, I'm gonna do this this year. It's a commitment to fully realign yourself to try to manifest who you can be in the world. And so I'm gonna give the list now of the essentials of life. And I, I mean, everyone may have their own essentials, but as far as I can tell, these are essentials that really are relevant for everyone. And so I'll start off with the first two that are physical the first chief rabbi of israel literally like an ezra of the prophets of our generation he was a kohen he was the spiritual leadership amongst very secular people at that time a luminary just you know a man that envisioned the holocaust a man that envisioned the establishment of the state of israel before the holocaust or the state of israel uh, what else to call him other than a prophet in our in in, in our in our century But um, he says that teshuva begins first with the body. You cannot do teshuva if your body is all out of whack, if you're not feeling good, if you're sick, if you're not, if you're all out of sorts, first get your body in place. So the first two essentials of life are exercise and your diet. How are those going? Think about that. Dream about that. Who you could be. And some people, they need to have the right app and they want to have the right personal trainer and they want to have the right systems in place so they know. Really, just some people just need someone to be like, run! move your body just go just go don't plan it just do it and oh we met a couple in the fellowship that started waking up early in the morning and they go on walks together now and as they're listening they're listening to to bible teachings i think actually just the, the bible being read and that's such a high level because you're getting so much done at the same time but just move your body get it going walk jog elliptical get your body strong And your diet just try to eat clean food obviously it should be biblically clean should be kosher obviously but on the other hand it should also be like stay away from stuff if you can't pronounce it on the labels that's probably better to stay away from just living food normal food the way that the prophets ate the way that our ancestors ate eat healthy good food exercise and diet those are two basics that really need to be strong and especially in this time i mean people are getting sick There's vaccines and not vaccines. I'm not even talking about that. Either way, the stronger and healthier your body is, the cleaner your body is now, the better it will be for you, absolutely. So this is really a time to get hold of that. So exercise and diet, those are the first two essentials. Then what are you reading? What are you listening to? Those are two, almost the same thing because the information is going in. So to listen to good things, to read good things, what, what are you studying now? What Torah are you learning now? What's helping you in your life now? What do you want to start? What's the book do you want to start going into this new year with? A Torah book in a life book to help make your life better, more enriched, more knowledge, smarter, better. How do we get that? What are we reading? What are we learning? That's second, third, excuse me, fourth, your prayers, time in meditation, in silence. How's that going in life? Are you spending time in prayer and silence? That's so important. Now the next, your marriage. Your intimate relationships, that's the core. If you don't have shalom in your home, oy, it's hard to have almost anything else. What about your children? Dedicating time to them. You're building your family strong. Your marriage, your children, that's your arc. Build your base strong. What do you want that to look like? Envision what you want this year to be with your family. Where you want to be with them. What you want to do with them. What you want to learn with them. What you want to experience with them together. Dream about it. Think about it. Then you have your original family. Maybe your parents are still alive. Maybe you have siblings you've lost touch with. What's, get in touch with your original family that you grew up with. So important. Those are our, those are our souls that had interconnected into us from the day we were born. The loved ones around you, your community, your friends, our fellowship. The next, that's like an, another circle. What do you want to be with your friends, your fellowship, the people that are around you? Are you journaling in life? Are you keeping a journal? That's so important. Are you setting time for reflection, for planning, for cheshbon nefesh, for thinking about your life, planning your life, making sure that you're on the right path, that you're doing teshuva, setting out time in the week, a special time just for cheshbon nefesh, for soul reflection, for soul accounting. Eretz Yisrael, spending time in nature, especially if you live in the city, (laughs) If you live in the suburbs, be out in the garden, work in the land, spend time in nature. That's where God is. (laughs) You know, it's like the city is one step removed. It's like man created cities. God created nature. Closer to nature, closer to God. What are you creating in the world? Everyone has gifts, hobbies that they're having. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's writing. Maybe it's painting. Maybe it's, it's endless hobbies, fix it things, doing things, gardening. What is that? What is your dream for this year? What are you expressing in the world? What are you creating in the world? Write that down. Think about that. Your home. Are you moving to a new home? Are you moving out to a place closer to nature? Are you staying where you are this year? What do you want your home to look like? What is actually your actual physical surroundings? Jordan Peterson has such a beautiful rule. He says, make one room in your house really, really beautiful. Just one. So think about how do you want to make your home more godly, more welcoming to guests, more beautiful than when people come they get inspired what is how are you building your home and then the last thing which is essential for me is my mornings what are my mornings what do they look like am i waking up on time because if you wake up on time you can do exercise learning prayer journaling you can get off so many of those critical things that make life so rich if you wake up early and so the process of this elul to go through that essential list and i'll send this essential list out to the email in case you didn't have time to write them all down and then the ones that are calling to you spend time and literally dream about them and there's two ways i think that are the best way to dream because just to sit and to dream i can't do that so sometimes on a walk sometimes while listening to music sometimes while doing something else even driving while your mind is sort of like doing something else all of a sudden ideas kind of come down but set an intention, you know, like I really want to think about my home. I really want to think about my marriage. What do I want to accomplish with my marriage this year? You know, we talked about manifesting the best versions of ourselves. That's a rule in marriage. That's a rule with children. What do I want out of my marriage? I want to help my wife manifest the best version of herself. I want my children to become the best versions of themselves. How do I help them? How do I bring more light into their lives? And so each one of those essentials, Each one of those has um, an address. And so some people will be one, some people will be another, some people will be multiple. But this is the time of the year that is auspicious for dreaming because God is quite literally dreaming with you. As you're carving out your way, God is inscribing them on the tablets with you. That's what Elul is. That is the power of Elul. And this is the most auspicious time to dream up your new year as we approach it. That is the ultimate tshuva. And so I want to bless everyone here um, with a strong Elul and to have the blessing from Israel, finally, sort of rooted in this land, sort of sending out to our tree of life around the world. Adonai Adonai panav Adonai panav shalom. May all of your dreams be blessed. Shalom, my friends.
2: To join the Land of Israel Fellowship, to attend our live interactive Zoom sessions, to participate in the Fellowship Connection Q&A events, or even just to binge on past sessions, click on the link below, or go to thelandofisrael.com backslash fellowship and join our family of hundreds of people from around the world broadcasting light from the Land of Israel, live from the Judean frontier.